This podcast contains content that may not be suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Cry in the Moon's Light, the carriage driver finds my lady recovering from her injuries in an abandoned church deep in the forest. She tells the carriage driver about a black wolf that attacked her as a young girl and how the love of her life, Seth, saved her from death. Believing Seth had been killed by the black wolf, she moved on. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story, and I'll also be your narrator. And now, on with our show. Chapter 9, The Travelers. The story she was telling would be hard for anyone to believe. But after the things I had seen on this trip, I knew anything was possible. Now some things were starting to make sense. From the moment I pulled the carriage into Castle Parlemais, I knew she had a history there. It was obvious she knew both Lord Parlemais and his son William. But I did not know how well she knew them until now. And she was beginning to tell me how this werewolf, wolf, and mask rider fit into all of this. The next part of her story was no less remarkable. It was beyond anything I could have imagined. But I had no reason to doubt her. She watched the moon as she continued. Seth took a deep breath before he went on with what he was saying. It was as if he was gathering his courage, for the story of his survival was even stranger. Finally, after some hesitation, he began. Father and son, the hunters who saved me, are known as travelers, although you may know them by a different name. They took me to their camp. It was several miles deeper in the forest. Travelers avoid detection by steering clear of civilization as much as they can. Their camps are always away from heavily used roads. For hundreds of years, many have tried to exterminate them, so they don't like to draw attention to themselves or reveal their camps. Travelers are from everywhere, yet from nowhere. Forced from their homelands to wander the countryside without any place to call their own. A race of people from many lands with a distinctive culture and traditions. Most of their rules revolving around doing things that are honorable. Not beholding to any one government or crown, they survive by living off the land. Women forage to stock their pantries, while the men hunt for all types of meat. Some earn by providing services to outsiders such as singing or dancing. Seers of the group read fortunes by use of a special deck of cards. Others are salesmen or craftsmen, each providing income for items needed by the community 
they cannot forge for themselves. Each community has their own king. The king is elected for life. Someone they respect and obey. And while his rule is law, he is beholden to his people, protects them and guides them. Everything that most of our lords and nobles are supposed to do, but some have let greed and arrogance fog the memory of their duty. Badly wounded and barely alive, the father who saved me carried me back to his community. This was not something the travelers do. It is forbidden to bring strangers into their community. It violates their laws. But his son urged him to break the rules. The boy who would later become my brother helped protect me. He respected all life, so his loving father was convinced to help me. The father took me straight to the Jabarni. This was the medicine woman of the community. She had one of the larger wagons in the caravan, a big red one with gold trim. Ornate carvings all over the structure. A small porch on the back led to a door with frosted windows. She was a woman of great importance and respect among the people. She took me inside and tended to me for days. First thing she did was stop the bleeding. Using a couple of clean cloths, she wrapped my wounds. Then she used a piece of cloth to slow the bleeding by wrapping it tightly around my limbs just above the cuts. She used other cloths to apply pressure. This all helped to stop the bleeding. Once the bleeding was stopped, she stitched all the lacerations. The pain was so severe I would pass out. As she continued to work, it would cause more pain and I would awaken, only to pass out again. After my wounds were stitched, she formed a paste with some herbs and mosses she gathered from the forest. Combining that with some mud-like clay, she coated my injuries and wrapped them in more cloth. A fever developed along with some cold sweats. The Jabarni would place cold rags over my forehead to cool my body. I was at the edge of death. She kept a vigil on me day and night, praying and keeping the bandages fresh and clean. After a few days, my fever broke. The bleeding stopped and my wounds began to heal. Her medicine and magic had worked, as well as something else. I improved a little each day. Some of the travelers believed it was magic, her magic, while the others believed it was black magic. But she wouldn't let them cast me out, nor harm me. The travelers knew I was marked by the beast. The black wolf wasn't just an ordinary wolf. He was the spawn of evil, a hideous creature whose sole purpose was to kill. The travelers tell of a legend of such creatures. It all began from the curse of an old witch. Her revenge gone wrong. A revenge that has devastated thousands for centuries. Some of the travelers' communities come from a region to the east, beyond our borders. In a place called Romania. A mountainous landscape surrounded by dense forests, just like this one. 
the Romanian king was a cruel man from an area there known as Wallachia. Invaders, assisted by some of his subjects, attacked his castle and killed his family. The invaders were defeated and vanquished from Romania. But the loss of his family drove the king mad, and he wanted revenge. The king had heard of an old English custom known as Prima Nocta. This allowed nobles to breed with new brides on their wedding night. Nobility can be cruel, and many of the lords took full advantage of this despicable practice. In a small village, just south of Wallachia, the nobleman from those lands exercised his rights to Primanocta. He raped a young woman on her wedding night. Fearing the king's wrath, none of her neighbors nor anyone from the church came to her aid, and her new husband was made to watch. Unable to protect the woman he loved, the husband could not bear the pain of what the nobleman had done. He hung himself in the pantry. Not only was this poor woman devastated by the nobleman's assault, she no longer had the love of her life. But what nobody in the town knew, she was a part of a secret coven of witches. She had been recruited at a young age and practiced for many years. After she fell in love with the local blacksmith, she vowed to give up the practice of witchcraft. Prima Nocta and the suicide of her husband changed all that, and soon, the world forever. She knew spells and incantations from the far reaches of the land. Her coven practiced both black magic and white. Because witches are feared and scorned, they went to great lengths to hide. The penalty for practicing witchcraft is death, usually by being drowned or burning them alive at the stake. The legend goes that she gathered her coven to cast a curse on the nobleman. Because he could not resist his primal animal instincts, she would change him forever, just as he had changed her. Most societies fear wolves. They devastate livestock and threaten human existence. Their howls at night are terrifying to those who hear them. People will go to great lengths to hunt and kill entire packs when they are discovered. The witch planned to kill the nobleman, but first, she wanted him to feel her terror. She wanted him to know the devastating pain he caused her. She wanted him to know what it was like to be hunted and chased until she finally killed him. But she also wanted her neighbors in the church to have some of this fear as well. After all, they just stood by and did nothing. The coven collected the nobleman's blood. The witch mixed his blood with blood from her husband, as well as some other animals. Over a large black cauldron, the coven chanted and cast spells for days. When the moon had finally reached its highest point in the sky, they kidnapped the nobleman and brought him to the lair. Bound and gagged, they stripped him of his clothing and performed the ritual. Using the jawbone of an old wolf, they dipped the teeth in the mixture of the blood that had been simmering in the cauldron. With the infusion of the magic of their incantations, 
They raked the nobleman's body with the jawbone. The spell cast on the blood, mixed with his blood, caused him to pass out. When he awoke the next day, he was under the sheets in his bed within his castle. Believing the witch's ritual was nothing more than a nightmare, he didn't give it any more thought. By the next full moon, everyone in the village learned how effective a witch's curse can be. As the moon arced to the top of the night sky, the villagers heard an awful howl from the nobleman's castle. This was not like the howl of wolves they were used to hearing. This was deeper, painful and terrifying. More monster than animal. That night, several villagers were killed. Their bodies torn apart by something savage. Limbs ripped from their bodies, thrown in different directions. Some of the bodies were missing heads. Other bodies had their eyes and tongues removed. The village was painted with the blood and guts of those who had watched as the witch was violated. At first, there were not any witnesses. Although the deaths were violent, most of the villagers believed it was just a pack of wolves stalking their town. Since the deaths were so gruesome, they thought the pack was probably diseased or rabid. As the months rolled by, the deaths continued. The villagers demanded answers from the nobleman. They wanted protection that he would not give. Fearing for their own existence, they formed hunting parties to kill wolves. The nobleman became afraid, just as the witch had hoped. But something happened the witch did not count on. For you see, she was with child. Eventually, she gave birth to a baby boy. Before her husband took his own life, they conceived a child together. But the nobleman believed the child to be his from his indulgence of Prima Nocta. A bastard child might be able to claim heir to his lands. This was not something that could be tolerated. On the next full moon, the nobleman visited the house of the witch, but in wolf form. He burst into her home, but she was ready for him. She stabbed him repeatedly, each thrust hitting vital organs, yet the creature would not die, as her curse was the spawn of evil. A pact between the coven and the devil himself. Although her death blows would have defeated any other creature, nothing normal can kill evil. Her defense was in vain. With one striking blow, he flung her across the room where she bounced off the wall. Injured and dazed, the creature forced her to watch as he killed her child. He wanted her to see what her curse had done as he devoured the child. He was more evil than she could have imagined, and he was not going to allow a bastard heir to live. As a nobleman, he was already powerful. Now, she had made him even more powerful, and he embraced that power as the animal in him was unleashed. But the witch was not done. The next day, she convened the coven again. They waited until the nobleman left his castle, 
using spells on the guards to put them asleep as they entered. This nobleman valued power above all things, and to him, money meant power. His most precious possessions were pure silver. Not any ordinary silver, but the rarest and purest of silver. In the castle, the witches found a treasure trove of pure silver. While it was rare, he had accumulated a mass storage of it. They emptied the castle keep of all his silver and took it back to their lair. After melting it down, they cast a new curse on the smelt. This was meant to kill the creature with the very things he prized the most. As the creature continued to kill across the land, the coven formed a hunting party of their own. Using the nobleman's silver, they forged weapons to kill him. Weapons like arrowheads, swords, spears, and knives. At the next full moon, when the ocean tides were high and the stars were bright, they hunted the beast. For three nights, they pursued him through the vast forest. They chased him until he finally returned to his castle. Inside the castle, the witch was waiting. She shot three arrows into the creature. While he screamed in pain as the silver pierced his skin, he did not die. The pursuing witches of the coven had arrived just as he attacked the witch. They watched as he decapitated her. Enraged at the loss of their sister witch, they fired their arrows. Only this time, one silver arrow pierced the wolf's heart. The great beast fell where he stood, as it killed him instantly. Once dead, his form returned to that of a man. By the time the villagers arrived, all they saw was their nobleman, naked, dead, and several arrows sticking from his dead body. A mob quickly formed and seized the remaining witches. They drugged them to the castle square, staked them to long poles, and burned them alive. Believing they had ended the curse brought on to them by these witches, they also destroyed the witch's lair. What none of them understood was that the nobleman had passed on his curse to others. Not all victims become infected, but some do, and become creatures of the night, just like the nobleman. This is part of why I could not return to the lands of Lord Parlamé, to the valley, or to you. I was changed forever, and the scars I bore would be known to anyone who saw them. They would know what I was, what I had become. This is what worried the travelers. One night, the travelers held a meeting. The king of the community had to decide if they were going to kill me, let me stay, or send me into exile. I was a stranger to them and a risk to their way of life. The king decided exile was not an option. They couldn't risk my telling others about them. They moved camp constantly, but they needed to remain a secret. The travelers don't just tell stories. They believe their legends. Convinced I was now a night creature, 
letting me roam the countryside to kill others wouldn't be allowed. They may be outcasts of civilization, but they couldn't permit the innocent to be harmed. Some of them wanted to kill me. Those who favored that option wasted no time lobbying the king. It's not that they were bloodthirsty. They just felt I was already infected and dead anyway. My soul lost to the devil. The father who found me pled for my life. He vowed to accept me as one of his own. If I became a danger to the community, he promised he would kill me. He was a good man and well-respected by the community, so his word carried some weight. But it was the Jabarni who really convinced everyone. Siding with the father, she told everyone she had consulted the cards, and that, although the legends are true, there was something different about my case. I was not beholden to the evil one. She also spoke of another legend, a prophecy less familiar to most. It spoke of a pale stranger who would make the world a safer place for their people. She believed I was that pale stranger, which was why I had survived the attack, as my lifeline was too strong. She reminded the community of the balance of all things. The Black Wolf was evil, and therefore, I was light. For him to exist, there must be something to balance him. She told them I was that balance. The king took a few days to think it over. On the third night, when the moon was waning, he told them of his decision. They would make me part of their community. If the Jabarni was wrong and the cards had failed, they would kill me. He ordered their blacksmith to prepare weapons of silver should they be needed. But they had another problem. The legend of the wolf was well known amongst their people. There are other traveling communities who know the legend too. And the tale was starting to become known to outsiders. Anyone they encountered who saw my scars would know what had happened and what I had become. They would surely kill me, but they might want to kill the entire community too. It was decided they would cover my scars with ink Travelers enjoy covering their bodies with various adornments such as jewelry and art. Most of it tells a story and has meaning. Other traveler communities learn to recognize these ink markings when they encounter them. The ink can also indicate who is friendly, who they are allied with, and who their enemies are. Each community has their own ink artist. Their styles can tell which community they belong. When I was completely healed and my scars were well formed, the Jabarni took me to their tattoo artist. For three days I sat in his wagon as he covered my scars with ink. The wolf's claws and bites were on my arms, chest, and shoulders. He weaved the tattoo in a maze of black. At first it was just a covering, but as I gained stature in the community, the artist would continue inking me until the tattoos were a beautiful piece of artwork that told a story unique to me. Hearing this, my lady reached up and opened his shirt. With a look of amazement, she ran her fingers across the ribbons of black that engulfed his arms and chest. For the first time, she understood what she was seeing. 
when you moved that tree. Beyond all hope, I knew it had to be you, she said. She had been right. He was the werewolf. The tattoos appeared as black against the tan fur that covered the beast. And they were the same when he was in the wolf form. Seth thought for a moment, then continued. I grew up in hiding. My new family kept me safe. But when the moon's light is full, the change consumes me. I was able to stay away during those times. I grew up like anyone else. It wasn't really that much different than growing up in the valley. As you know, we grew up poor. You and I were peasants while William was the rich one of the three of us. My traveler family was the same. We had our own wagon, but it was small for a family of five, and we constantly worked to fill the pantry. My new family wasn't any better or worse. It was just different, a different way to survive. Instead of doing everything for a lord, we took care of each other. The community survives by banding together. The men would hunt at various times day or night, providing enough meat for the entire group. They did repairs on the wagons and tended the horses. We had some livestock, mostly chickens or ducks. A few had goats to provide milk, meat, and something called cheese. Each day somebody would tend the animals. Others would gather from the forest. Caravan moved a lot. Mostly stayed to the forest roads where there were few people. Sometimes we would go into town or cities to trade. Some of us would take jobs and learn different skills to bring back for the use of the community. I learned how to heal. At least a little, anyway. I never achieved the status of the Jabarni, but I was able to learn. That is how I was able to help you with your wounds. Each night after supper, we would visit different families and share stories around the campfire. Those who could play an instrument would play. Those who could sing would sing, and those who could dance would dance. As I got older, things became more complicated. I could change form anytime I need to, day or night. But when the moon is at its fullest, I cannot control change. One day, a rival community attacked our camp. Another community of travelers was invading our area. Several of our supply shipments had been overtaken. Some of the king's men were able to defend our provisions. But their king was a clever man. He decided to wait until a good many of our men were away from the camp, night hunting. Sometimes, our men would go on large bullfrog hunts. This supplied meat for the entire community. And at that time, our camp was deep in the forest, within the pine groves. We were near a large creek, where the water ran swiftly over big rocks. Our wagons were lined with our backs to the water. The rival group had watched patiently, and after our men left for the hunt, they hit us. It was in the middle of the night, and nobody was prepared. Because it was a full moon, I had already left the camp and was in another form. My senses are sharper in that form. 
I knew something was wrong the moment I completely changed. There was something in the air, a presence of evil. I made my way back to camp so I could see what was happening. When I got there, the attack had already begun. Several of the wagons were on fire. Our supplies were raided. Men from the rival community were loading up their horses. Our people had been hopelessly outnumbered and defenseless. I loved my new family and was enraged by the attack. I ran into the fight without giving it a thought. The opposing community was no match for what I had become. The lucky ones got out the moment they saw me, scared beyond reason. Those who weren't smart enough to flee were slaughtered. None of them had any idea of the connection to my new family. The king and my father survived, but the few men who remained to defend the camp were killed by the rival group. My new brother was out with the hunting party and wasn't there during the attack. As I drove them off, I disappeared back into the darkness until morning. When I was fully changed back to a man, I returned to the camp. Most of the hunting party had returned by this point. The community recognized the tattoos, so they knew it was me. Those who witnessed me fighting the rivals knew how deadly I was. Even though I defended them and drove off our attackers, they now feared me. Word began to spread through all the traveler communities. A mysterious beast had nearly killed an entire traveler group during a conflict. Stories of the battle got bigger and grander than they really were. And the fact that the beast was defending one community from the assault of another was never spoken. All anyone heard was a story of a hideous beast killing men, women, and children. The community mourned their losses, rebuilt wagons, and became stronger in the process. But in the end, they knew the problem was bigger than all of that. Finally, the king could not risk them associating with me. He declared that it was necessary for me to leave the community. Even my father and brother could not convince him. And the Jabarni's tale of a prophecy didn't matter either. As they saw, the prophecy had been fulfilled, as a pale stranger had saved their community. Ever since that day, when I was forced into exile, I have crisscrossed the country, looking for a new home. There's just no place for me. I couldn't be sure my presence wouldn't cause others harm, so I stayed to myself. I decided to stay near Marcel. There aren't many people there. Road agents and highwaymen scour the land looking for victims, so anything unusual gets attributed to them. That is how I survived all these years, keeping to myself and blending in with the undesirables of the world. But I never, ever, forgot about you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. Original music by Joseph McDade. 
you can support the show by making a donation to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Our creative spotlight is L.H. Tupper. She's an author whose works can be found at lhtupper.com. One of my favorite short stories she has is Elizabeth. If you like a mystery story with a spooky feel, you'll really enjoy this one. These writings are free right now, so check them out while they're still available. In the next chapter, Seth reveals the identity of the Black Wolf and why the pack is trying to kill Milady. We also learn the secret of silver and why it is one of the few weapons mankind has against creatures of the night. Also in this chapter, the Hessians and their hidden connection to Parlamay Castle. Find out what happens next in Chapter 10. All will be revealed. I hope you join me next time for another exciting episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill, copyright 2020, all rights reserved.